Sentire Media. Hello everyone and welcome to A History of Italy. Recap 1, episodes 1 to 13 from the fall of the Western Roman Empire to the fall of the Lombards. Well, we've reached episode 13 and we're still going. We can even add an interview episode on the Lombards and a special episode on the Italian election to bring it up to 15. I must say I'm quite surprised. In this episode, we're going to take yet another break from the chronological tale of the Italian peninsula to have a recap of the first 13 episodes. If you've been listening carefully to all the episodes and see this as dirty, low-down cheating, like when they do a clip show on a TV series, then feel free to skip this one. Or, on the other hand, if you want a quick summary of what we've covered so far as a refresher, listen on. In any case, let's get started. I promise we'll get back to the action next time, because we've left Charlemagne tapping his foot impatiently, and you just don't keep an emperor waiting longer than you should. We started from the year 476, in which the Herul or Shirik barbarian general Odoasa took control of Italy by deposing the emperor Romulus Augustulus and sending back the imperial insignia to Constantinople marking his intention not to make himself Western Roman Emperor, nor to nominate a puppet emperor. Odoacer administered the peninsula until the year 489. In those years, he ran Italy with the help of Roman administrators. In the year 480, he was also able to add Dalmatia to his sphere of influence. In the year 489, Theodoric, king of the Goths, took his people into Italy encouraged by the eastern emperor Zeno. He definitively defeated and killed Odoacer in the year 493. Theodoric reigned over the kingdom of Italy until the year 526. The Goths were very careful to keep themselves separate from the local Italians, even instituting two separate legal systems for the two populations. Theodoric also separated the roles of state, with the administration being left to the Italians and the military to the Goths. Despite this separate system, Theodoric was a relatively good ruler for both his Goths and the Italians, at least until the 520s. Indeed, it was in these years that the Byzantine Empire became more diplomatically and militarily aggressive and Theodoric became suspicious of some of the Italian administrators he had relied on including the Pope. Theodoric died in the year 526, leaving the kingdom to his grandson, Athelric, under the regency of his daughter, Amalasuntha. The regency lasted until the death of Athelric in 535 due to youthful excesses. After the death of her son, Amalasuntha, afraid for her life and suspicious of the Gothic nobles, made the mistake of elevating her cousin, Theodahad to the throne. He very quickly had her imprisoned and killed. Theodahad may have thought that he had sorted himself out, but he did not calculate that Amalasuntha had good diplomatic ties with Constantinople, and Emperor Justinian took the usurpation as an excuse to pursue his policy of reuniting the Roman Empire. 
he sent one of his best generals, Belisarius, to invade from the south, while another army came from the north. Theodahad was dethroned and executed, and Vitigus was put in his place. Within five years of war, the Byzantines had taken all of the peninsula except for northern Italy above the Po River, and Vitigus was taken prisoner. A treaty was reached fixing the status quo. However, 540 was not the end of the Gothic War. The Goths elected a new king, Totila, and the war continued until its end in 552 when the Byzantine general Narsus defeated Totila in the Battle of Tagine, in which the king was killed. Although resistance lasted another few years, this was really the end of the Gothic kingdom in Italy. The Byzantines then ruled inefficiently and with rampant corruption until 569. In that year, the Lombards descended into Italy. These were another Germanic people from northern Europe who started out life as the Winili. It was their king, Alboin, who took his people into Italy. The Lombard presence in Italy, which lasted just over 200 years, can be divided into three periods. From King Alboin, who headed the invasion-slash-migration of the Lombards in 569, to the end of the reign of Agilulf in 616. This was the Age of Conquest. The second phase goes from Adelawald, starting in 616, to the end of the reign of Anspread in 712. We see in this period the attempt at consolidation and integration. Finally, from the reign of Lutprand starting in 712 to the end of the Lombard Kingdom, we see an attempt and failure to obtain territorial and political unity in the peninsula. So, to go over that again, from 569 to 616, the first 50-odd years, conquest. From 616 to 712, the next 100-odd years, attempt at consolidation and integration, and from 712 to 774, the last 60-odd years, attempt and failure of territorial and political unity. During the whole period, there were varying levels of instability in which only the really strong kings were able to keep a series of independently-minded dukes in check. These dukes were initially the captains, the dukes of the barbarian warrior culture, and thus rather adverse to being ruled by a single person from the very start. But let's have a look at our phases. In the first phase, it is important to remember that the Lombard conquest did away with many of the most important Italian landowners who were either exiled or killed. But the lower levels of society fared a bit better and were the first to become integrated into the Lombard society, or better, the lower levels of the Lombard society mixed with and picked up the customs of the local Italians. Another important thing to remember is the Lombard conquest didn't take the whole of the peninsula, leaving parts of the south, except for the Lombard duchies of Spoleto and Benevento, and a swath, or swathes, I've never known how to say that word, of land going from around Rome up through central Italy to Ravenna and the surrounding area. To this, we need to also add the areas around Venice and parts of Liguria. These areas, nominally under the control of the Byzantine Empire, 
over the years fell under the authority of the popes of Rome, as far as the Rome and Ravenna areas are concerned, while other areas became slowly independent in their own right. It is in the second phase, from 616 to 712, that we find the reign of one of the big three Lombard kings, that is, King Rothery, who set out in writing the oral laws of the Lombards in his edict in 643. The second and third of the big kings came in the last period, and they were Liutprand and Aistulf. Liutprand was a good lawmaker as well as a good warrior, adding to the Edict of Rothery with a series of new laws aimed mostly at protecting the weaker members of society and the Catholic Church. Indeed, despite the fact that he, like most of the other Lombard kings, was forced to deal with the growing power of the popes, he was also a pious Catholic, showing how far the Lombards, who were originally Aryan Christians with a lot of pagan influences, had come. The story of the conversion of the Lombards to Catholicism was a long one, with steps forward and steps back, with cases of Aryan kings with Catholic queens. We can add that, by this time, the integration with the local population had increased and the Lombard language had almost completely disappeared, and Italians had been allowed into the military and into the administration. An important event in the rather complicated relationship between the Lombards and the papacy came in 728 with the donation of Sutri, when King Liutprand gave back lands taken from around Rome, not to the Byzantines, but to the Pope himself, marking an important step towards the creation of the Papal States. It is in the 8th century that we see an increasing influence of the Franks, who had already been on the radar ever since the time of the Gothic Wars, but in this period they really became a player on the European scene, with an increasing dependence of the popes, with an increasing dependence on them by the popes, who held their budding state threatened by the Lombards. We must also remember that it is in this century, particularly in 732, at the Battle of Tours, or Partier, that Charles Martel of the Franks stopped the spread of the Arabs and became a hero of Christendom. Aistulf, the third of the big names, was the one who took the Lombard kingdom to its almost maximum expansion after reforming the military. It is under his reign that another important, if not the fundamental step towards the creation of the Papal States was taken, the donation of Pepin, in which Pepin the Short, king of the Franks, promised and later delivered, after defeating Aistulf, the lands that then became the Papal States to the Pope. The irony of the Lombard Kingdom was that it reached its maximum expansion right before its end. Indeed, the last king of the Lombards, Desiderius, reigned from 757 to 774, and it seemed at a certain point that he had everything going for him. Internally, with control over the nobles of his kingdom, with the Pope, and finally, with the powerful Franks. It was not to be, and it all crumbled like a proverbial house of cards, with the descent of Charlemagne into Italy. This marked the definitive end of the Lombard kingdom in Italy. It was not, however, the end of the Lombards themselves, who in many cases stayed as dukes under the new Carolingian regime, and descendants of the Lombards could be traced for centuries to come. So, that's where we've got to. The short version is Odoacer from 476 to 493, 
the Goths from 493 to 552, including the Gothic War, the Byzantines from 552 to 569, then the Byzantines and Lombards from 569 to 754, and the Byzantines, Lombards and Papal States from 754 to 774. In the next episode, we'll finally get back to Charlemagne, and it's about time too. He's getting a bit annoyed standing around in Pavia waiting for us. Before we close for this week, I'd just like to say hello to Manda, who got in touch via Facebook and was wondering if we're going to talk any more about the beautiful island of Sardinia. The short answer is, yes, we will, as it comes into more recorded history. But Manda had given me the idea of doing a more in-depth episode on the islands, Sicily and Sardinia, or maybe just Sardinia itself, perhaps to get up to speed with the events like we did with the Catholic Church. In any case, thanks very much to Manda for getting in touch. Thanks to all of you for listening. And please remember that if you want to get in touch, you can send us an email at hello at ahistoryofitaly.com. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate and review the program because that does all sorts of magical things to iTunes ratings. And until the next time, thanks again and arrivederci. Tira Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentiri Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.